0: Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. Today's episode is a special edition. Uh, We have the uh, historian, author, and podcaster, Brian McClanahan on to talk about thinking local and acting local, as well as what led to the Civil War. Now, to give you some background, uh, I've listened to Brian McClanahan for a few years. He has a show called The Brian McClanahan Show, and he's an expert on colonial history, Civil War history, the federal period. Generally, he talks about current events, and he relates them back to documents, original documents, and uh, just just has some really great content, in my opinion, if you're trying to understand the political situation in light of the intentions of the Founding Fathers, that kind of thing. Now, uh, for the uh, documentary, American Monument, I was traveling around the country conducting at least some of the interviews that went into that. And um, I thought to myself, if I had someone that I was interviewing, and we had a little bit of time extra then I would invite them to do a podcast with me. And so Brian McClanahan was very gracious. We did have a little bit of extra time. So we were able to uh, do a podcast. And, uh, and, and so I was able to pick his brain about these subjects. And so I think it'll be beneficial for you. And uh, if you like what you hear, you might want to check out uh, his podcast as well. And so um, if you haven't seen American Monument yet, please go to uh, YouTube or Rumble. Last Stand Studios is the channel and you can type in American Monument. It'll, it should come up that way as well but uh, hopefully you enjoy this bonus feature this is really what this is a bonus feature for uh, the American Monument documentary and uh, and anyways let me know what you think in the comments, uh, comments section one last final thing I just remembered this uh, video was initially I had an idea of doing a different historical period so like a colonial history week a civil war history week maybe even like a World War II History Week, I had this this big idea of doing this with different experts. And uh, as time got away from me and I had so many other projects, it just wasn't happening. And so that's still something I'd love to do in the future. But uh, the reason, if you're watching, you're gonna see an intro that says Civil War Week is because when I was putting some of these together, I thought to myself... Uh, that's what this is going to be for. So it's not for that. We didn't have enough interviews to to merit a Civil War week or a, a Colonial History week or anything like that. But uh, that's why you're going to see that. So uh, this is really just a, a extended conversation with Brian McClanahan after we did an interview for American Monument. And uh, like I said, I hope you enjoy it. <music> Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We have a special guest today for our Civil War Week special edition episode, um, Brian McClanahan, uh, who I know you are uh, involved with the Abbeville Institute. You have been for years. Um, you've written a number of books uh, on American history and now Southern history as well. You have your own podcast, The Brian McClanahan Show, which I uh, do listen to. Today we're gonna talk a little bit about um, kind of one, one slice of the pie uh what led up to what is commonly called the civil war and in the popular imagination um you know slavery is the big word that most people would think of when they think of the civil war but um it the in the sense in which we think about it uh today it's not as we think about as a moral thing and it it really wasn't quite it wasn't as um simplistic maybe so Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about that today. I appreciate you being with me. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it being on your show. It's, it's a great honor. Tell me a little bit about the Civil War. Just just basics for someone who's tuning in. Just had the regular um, high school American history course.
1: They think it was fought over slavery. I mean, that really wasn't the whole picture then. Definitely not the whole picture. And I think if you go back and look at the longstanding conflict, even if you point to Alexander H. Stevens, who's often, well, this guy said it's about, uh, you know, the, the uh, institution of slavery or its uh, white supremacy, whatever it is. He also said that slavery was the immediate cause. Okay, this is what he said. So what does that mean? There's something else going on here. Long-standing differences between the North and the South had been there since the 1770s. And the founding generation recognized this. They talked about it a lot during the Philadelphia Convention when they were drafting the Constitution. They talked about it a lot in the state ratification conventions. They recognized that Northerners and Southerners were different. They had different views on all kinds of things, whether it was economics, whether it was society, whether it was politics. And so you had these long-standing differences and those manifested themselves in a search for power. So I always point back to uh, 1794. And I say, well look, what happened in 1794? How many years? We had just had the Constitution for five years. In 1794, you have Rufus King and Oliver Ellsworth. Rufus King, uh, who (laughs) was from New England, but had eventually settled in New York, and Oliver Ellsworth, who was from Connecticut, uh, they confront John Taylor of Caroline, who had just been sent to the United States Senate from Virginia, and they say, Hey, John, we got a question for you. What do you think about secession? Because you know what? It looks like Virginia's going to dominate this government, and we want out. We want New England to leave the Union. John Taylor wrote about this, and he's shocked. He said, I'm shocked about it. We're five years under the Constitution. Here is New England talking about secession. Why? Because of political power, New England had figured at that point, because of various reasons, they weren't going to control the reins of government. Now, this, of course, is during the John Adams. Well, I'm sorry, during the uh, the George Washington administration. We eventually get John Adams' administration just a few years later, but they still didn't think they were going to control the government. And by the early 1800s, they didn't. Uh, and so you start seeing secession ramp up in New England, at least discussions of it ramp up in New England. So these long-standing differences. What were they? Well, they came down to things like uh trade. They came down to things like taxes. Uh you know, the uh the status of territories. No, it was and just slavery. That was the only difference. But it was right? the only difference right, <laughs> right. <That's> territories. <laughs> the status of the concept of liberty. What kind of liberty did they have in New England compared to what they had in Virginia or South Carolina? All of these things were different. And you had Governor Morris of New York and the Philadelphia Convention actually stand up and say this. We have all these differences. If right now we're incompatible, let's just get rid of this union today but if we think we can put these together let's try to do it. So the founding generation recognized very early on there was differences between north and south and not a lot of it had to do with slavery. And so when you say this war is about slavery uh, you have to start opening different, it's like an onion, right? Well you got it stinks, right? So you gotta peel all these things off to get to the various parts of the onion. And that's where you get into some of these other issues that I think are just as important. Well, I know David Hackett Fisher had written the book Albion Seed, tracing you know, the European mm-hmm.
0: uh, civilization to the United States, uh, what is today the United States. And, um, I mean, you look at the South, and you have primarily in the Appalachian region, Scotch-Irish. You have the Cavaliers more in the lowland and the, the Piedmont areas. And then in the North, you have Puritans. And, the, and they had very different conceptions of all the things you're talking about. I know in some of my research, uh, religion also was very different. The Congregationalist churches eventually went Unitarian and Transcendentalist. Yes. These these ideas, and so um, I just found that interesting that it wasn't you know this predated what we would think of as the quote unquote slavery debate. But but eventually there was a slavery debate, yes. Which which we, we know that that the war itself wasn't really over that directly, but it did lead to some secession in the lower south. So. What, what led up to that slavery debate that we commonly hear, commonly hear about?
1: Sure. So, you start looking at a debate over slavery. Again, I mentioned New England. Well, in 1815, uh, there was a secession movement in New England called the Hartford Convention, right? So, the War of 1812 is ongoing. New England's being damaged by the war, their shipping's being destroyed. They're actually openly trading with the British at times, which was treason. But they think, well, we've got to get out of this union. So what do they want? Well, they listed a series of constitutional amendments that they wanted to have added to the Constitution that would, in their mind, create this uh, better union. So one of the things they wanted to get rid of was the three-fifths compromise to the const to the three-fifths clause, which allowed slaves to be counted as three-fifths of a person towards representation. They thought that unjustly gave the South more representation in Congress. So you have that. And of course there are other things you can't have presidents from the same states, you know, two elections in a row. Well, because Virginia's dominating. Uh we new, new states uh have to be admitted by two-thirds majority in Congress. Well, why? Because if you get territory, and this is the key, you get territory that adds states, well, who's gonna live in these states? A whole bunch of farmers. Well, these farmers aren't gonna be in line with New England merchants, so they're gonna vote a different way. So the real issue of slavery started occurring over the extension of slavery into the territories. We saw this in 1787 with the Northwest Ordinance, which prohibited slavery in the old Northwest. Jefferson, in fact, was certainly in favor of that, uh, though he didn't write the Northwest Ordinance in 1787. He was in favor of that because he thought, well, maybe this this would keep slavery bottled up in the South. And this essentially became one dominant part of American history. Keep slavery bottled up in the South. Don't let it expand. Not because of moral reasons oftentimes, it was because of political reasons. Well, if I can get a free state and they're going to vote with us on these particular issues. Well, then we control the government. South was saying well, we get slave states, and they can vote with us on these issues. Well, that's going to we're going to control the government. So it all came down to the Senate, right? Having equal free and slave states. So as you start looking 1820, you get the Missouri Compromise. Missouri comes in as a slave state. You have this line drawn in the sand, and you have this opened up again in the 1840s, the 1850s, and you start seeing this debate over the extension of slavery. That became the why slavery question most americans weren't concerned about slavery morally and there were certainly people that were and rightfully so but it was people were concerned about power and the slaves extending and plus a lot of northerners were interested in stopping it because they didn't want blacks living in those territories so, so there was, there was racially, a racial element
0: to it yeah so so for reasons that would not be progressive uh in in our modern day and age at least um right. they wanted to for for quote unquote racist reasons, keep slaves from coming
1: into areas where they were going to live. In fact, uh, Ohio had exclusionary laws. Uh, so did Illinois. You couldn't live in those states, or you had to pay a, a tax essentially to live there if you were not white. Um, you had uh, the Republican Party platform of of 1856. Uh, you know, free soil, free men, Fremont, victory, free speech, Fremont, victory. I mean, it was about free white labor settling in those territories. David Wilmot of Pennsylvania who wrote the very famous Wilmot Proviso in 1846 during the Mexican War, his whole goal was to keep slavery out of the territories because he didn't want competition. He wanted these territories for free white labor. He said it, openly said it, I want free white labor. So it was a competition. It was a, there was a, certainly a racial element to this that uh, northerners were driven to try to keep slaves out of these western territories as well. That, that's fascinating because that, that cast
0: the whole issue in a different light in a way. It wasn't uh, that you had a region of the country that just wanted slavery so much, wanted to um, bring slavery everywhere with it. It was more of, uh, it sounds to me like what you're saying is the influential members of the Southern society would have mostly been slaveholders. So if you prohibited them from going to Kansas or somewhere in the territories, then the influence of the South would not be present in those areas, That's which correct. means they vote with the economic interests of the North. That's
1: correct. And, and what were those? The economic well, interests? I mean, certainly it was the Hamiltonian system. It yeah. was what Henry Clay called the American system. You want federally funded internal improvements, and you got to think a lot of farmers in the West. What are they tied to? The Mississippi River. If you can get, if you can have access to the Mississippi, well, you get your product out to market. Uh, of course, in New England, it was central banking. It was tariffs. It were thing. It was things that Hamilton wanted. Uh, in the 1790s that they were also in favor of. Now, the interesting thing about that, if you look at American history carried after the war, and you look at the populist movement, a lot of Midwestern uh, Western farmers who had been pro-union became populist because they figured out we cut a deal with the wrong side. We're farmers. Southerners were farmers. This economic interest is not ours. Uh, We might have been behind free land, Western land, or we might have been behind internal improvements, but... We also got big banks, we got big corporations, we have big business now dominating these things, railroads coming out and steamrolling our land. I mean, this was something well, they couldn't get behind. That's just
0: today's flyover country. That's correct. That's what we, you know, red states, yes. you know, and they, they could be in the Midwest, the West, or the South. They kind of think very similar to one another. That's interesting. Um, so when, when you look at the, the Civil War itself, and you look at, okay, so there were states in the Lower South who were concerned that uh the extension of slavery was going to keep them from being able to move to these western territories and exerting their influence you had the most of the states in in the upper south that wasn't their reason right for seceding
1: absolutely not i okay. mean you you had in in, 18, in in april of 1861 when sumter was fired on you only had seven states out of the union and that was it so you still had eight slave states that were in the union so At that point, when Lincoln called for 75,000 troops to put down the rebellion, which was his word, then you had several states which had already explicitly rejected secession secede from the Union, including Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, these upper southern states that uh, weren't on board with the initial push for secession. They wanted to stay in the Union, they wanted to try to figure something out. You had a peace conference in January of 1861, which Lincoln, by the way, said, Don't, it's not going to work, and don't really buy into anything they're selling. And it was to try to come up with a compromise. How can we save the Union? How can we bring these southern states back in the Union? This was the whole point of the Corwin Amendment, which Daniel Crofts has pointed out was really the Lincoln Amendment. Well, we'll make slavery permanent in the South. We can't ever, we can't ever abolish it, which, of course, they could not anyways. It's not constitutional for them to do it, for the general government to abolish slavery at that time. So we'll make it permanent, but yet we're going to keep it out of the territories. And during the debates, this was brought up. Well, look, you're arguing the wrong thing here. We've never said you could abolish slavery in the South. Lincoln himself said, I can't abolish slavery in the South. It's all about the territories. Can we have access to the common property of the United States? And the key to all that, and we have to remember this, the Supreme Court in the Dred Scott decision said that it was illegal for the federal government to prohibit slavery in the territory. So Southerners are looking at it saying, you're going against the Supreme Court, which is what you've always abided. You always said that's the final law, the final arbiter. You're saying that. This is not now the final law of the land. I mean, there's a higher law than that. So where do we go from here? If you're not going to follow the Constitution as the Supreme Court interpreted it, then how can we trust you on anything? And I think we look at modern society, we we have this debate all the time. Supreme Court ruled on this. Well, does it does it matter? Or does it not matter? Do should we listen to the court? Should we not listen to the court? This is the same issue back then. You have progressives saying, well, we, an issue that your listeners, Roe v. Wade. This is the final right. is the court spoken. <laughs> So, if you if the court's spoken, well, if we're going to follow that line of thinking, then Southerners could say the exact same thing in 1858, the court has spoken. Yeah. You can't do these things now. So, all these little nuances to this just doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, I, I've been
0: in, uh, in my studying history, I've been in classes on other wars other than the Civil War, like World War II class, and uh, you find out how complex some of the issues, all the nations that were involved in that, of course very different motivations depending on what side you were on and world war one's even more complicated it's hard (laughs) to even find who who are the good guys who are the bad guys um but in the civil war it seems like today that is that's one of the wars um that you're not allowed to have a nuanced discussion about it it seems it's just bad south slavery racism good north righteous you know why is that? Why why do uh, historians today kind of look at it with these just simplistic kind of...
1: Well, I think it's part of your asked question with World War Two and World War One. Those are European wars to begin with. And so Americans can look at that and say, it's well, true. we lost a lot of people here. But it doesn't directly affect our character as a people. But that war here in America, it defines who we are. I mean, it was a turning point in American history. So if that's going to be it, then we... You can't just say, and I, I was reading a speech from, um, from a northern partisan at a dedication to a, to a Union monument in the, um, in the 1890s. And he said, look, uh, at the beginning of the war, it was all about saving the Union. We all recognize this. There was, there was nothing there. But as we moved on, then it became something more righteous and just because essentially what he's admitting, if this war was all about saving the Union, that would be an immoral war. You're slaughtering people just to keep people yeah. within a Union. So it had to be something bigger. It can't just be about a union. If that's the case, that makes the North no different than say the British or any other imperial power throughout history that just slaughter people to keep well, them they just subjugated, killed over 600,000 people, a million
0: starving afterward to to what? To preserve a union. To preserve a political entity. What right. does that
1: mean? So it had to have some th- I mean, think about American wars. We didn't just go into Iraq to topple Saddam Hussein. We went into Iraq to help the Iraqi people. You can't just do the one; you have to do the other. We didn't go into yeah. Vietnam just to topple a communist regime. We went there to help, help change the hearts and minds of these people and make them better. We built schools and hospitals and all this. This is the way the military started to sell these things, uh, and so you have to have some other moral justification for this. This is kind of a hypothetical question because you mentioned the Corwin Amendment,
0: and if that passed, well, you know that that would have been, enshrined slavery, you know, for yes. generations, perhaps, but. Um, but luckily that that did not pass and the way that slavery ended was probably the worst possible way Unfortunately, it could have ended under the circumstances of a war-torn region mass starvation Etc. But if there had not been a war um, w- was there another way I know the rest of the West the, the world seemed to be able to? Kind of exit from shadow slavery end it somehow in a peaceable way w- was there a way that this could have been avoided
1: that's a good question. It's one that's very hard to answer. I think yeah. some Southerners viewed slavery as a as a progressive institution. They were trying to adapt it to the modern world. Well, can we use it in an industrial setting? Will it will it survive? Can we use it in factories? Can we use it? And there were some cases where they were trying to do that: ironworks and other things. Um, so, could it have survived another thirty, forty years? Absolutely. I think there's no doubt about that. But maybe mechanization, some other things, even even public interest in ending the institution I think there would have been more of that the question then became well how do you do it in a way that's beneficial to to uh, blacks in America that wouldn't put them into a situation where they would be a permanent underclass because certainly this was discussed in the north well, you just make them a permanent underclass and then no. they can't vote they're just gonna be a labor force well you don't want that um, because that's dangerous and detrimental to those people um, so then what do you do with the fact that people have put a, sunk a lot of capital in this? Well, how do you deal with that? In other places, it was, well, you have to pay them. There's compensation. There's other things. Even Lincoln was wrestling with this. You know, he, he floated a compensated emancipation plan uh, in Delaware, in fact. Delaware was in the Union during the war as a slave state, and the largest slave owner in Delaware was a Republican. So he approached the Republican and said, hey, look, I want to, through a surrogate, I want to float this plan. How much would it cost? to free all of your slaves, and he gave him a number. Lincoln looked at it, showed it to some advisors, and they said it'll never pass Congress. They're not going to pay that much money. So uh, there's all these different issues. I think eventually the weight of public opinion would have gone against it, and you would have seen some gradual emancipation. Lincoln himself said at one point he's willing to extend it to 1890, even 1900 perhaps. It could have extended that long. And uh-huh. um, One thing you said about the Corn Amendment, it did pass the Congress, but, and some states did ratify it. So uh, it, it was there. I mean, this was a this was a a very possible amendment to the U.S. Constitution.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think it was Brazil. Brazil was the last uh, country. Brazil, 1881. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they they went that far, but um, didn't have a war over it. Um, so to just kind of put a cap on all of it, though. Is it, so you have you know the war, not primarily slavery being the cause, but you know secession and then an invasion and a war. But leading up to it, the tensions between these two different. Uh, sides in the north and the south, the extension of, or I think you phrased it, the extension of slavery, factored into that. Economic interest factored um, into that. Was it, was it just the civilizational clash? Then is that the best way to view that well, I,
1: conflict? I think yeah. I mean, look, if you go back and look at Charles Beard, whose, whose, um, his book on American civilization points that out. And this, you had two civilizations in America, different. Uh, in many different ways it was economics it was social it was political they had different views on the powers of the general government they had different views on uh, the nature of different peoples in society they had different views on expansion they had different views on on economy and I think eventually religion you brought that up you had uh, the Puritans in New England uh, who and then you had more uh, you know traditional Episcopalians or Anglicans in the south you also had other religions as well uh, but Southerners were certainly much more interested in a more traditional church uh, than in New England. So you had all these things working against each other. And I think that that civilizational clash was bound to take place at some point. It's just a matter of when. So are we still in that? Absolutely. I mean, no, has the war s- even solved anything? It, this is this is the, is major the war question. over. <laughs> no, it, it never has been. I mean, it, okay. if you think about a cultural war it's never ended i mean we're still going through reconstruction right now and what america's because and that's because of one-size-fits-all government what america's what's happened is america's allowed the winners the fifty plus one percent to dominate to the losers and that culture at times is not going to be receptive to different people whether you're on the right or the left if, if trumps in office Well, the left goes nuts, and they think—I mean—they want to succeed. They want to (laughs) succeed. If Biden's in office or Obama, the right wants to succeed. I mean, this is this is where we are, and I think this is when Governor Morris pointed out: if we have incompatible things right now, let's just get out of this thing and not worry about it anymore. And maybe more people should have listened to that. Back in, in 1787, there was real talk about disunion in 1787. The threat then was, of course, that you had the British and the French. And they would just come in and take over the South, the North, right. and you'd have all these conflicts here. So you can understand there was this real fear about it then. Well, we got to keep this thing together because we got these other big powers out there that could just take us over. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know. I mean, you know, you've got Texas, which is the size of many European countries, Florida, you've got states that are the size of European countries. Would that be so easy to take over? Definitely not. Right, Uh, and so I think that's why people are openly talking about it again.
0: Well, in closing, kind of, I mean, this is a good kind of opening, I think, for what you advocate on your podcast and in your writings. I mean, I don't know if you came up with it, but the tagline "Think Local, Act Local." I know you. um, I think it says that at the beginning of your show in the intro. Uh, What should Americans, uh, you know, who want to think local and act local, and and not be part of this this uh, you know cold war that we're still in? What should they be doing then?
1: Well, I think when you look at uh, this this idea of federalism, what does that actually mean? It means local communities. It means working within yourself. I always say start with your family first. You you can't do anything unless you start with your family first and work out from there. I mean, Aristotle said this. The family is the most important part of your, if you just want to look at philosophy, the family is the most important thing. Then you go to your local community. It's your town council. It's your county commission. Those are two areas that you can have a lot of impact. If you think about it, if you and I wanted to have a rally and we had 100 people that thought like us, and we could go and rally for something, and we took those 100 people, and we went to Washington D.C. and we yeah. went to the steps of the Capitol. We had 100 people on the steps of the Capitol. Now, in COVID, we'd probably all be arrested, and, uh, you know, for <laughs> not true. wearing masks or something. But, uh, but before in, in normal times, when you had 100 people, nobody would pay attention. Nobody would even come out and look at that. But if you and I took 100 people and we went to the steps of your local county, uh, you know, city hall, and we said, hey. We want this done. The mayor's gonna pay attention. The county council's gonna pay attention to what you're doing. So local is always good. And you know who also knows this? The left knows this too. George Soros is pumping a lot of money into local action because he knows this is how you can change society. Your local school board, what's some of the most important things? Educating kids. That's what we're doing here. Educating kids. Well, if you can control your school board, you can control the way that history is taught or the curriculum used, or these type of type of things. So then you go to your state which state in which i live is the size of the united states in seventeen ninety there's four million people in in this in my state there were four million people in the united states in seventeen ninety so if you think about scale that's a big place think about california i try not to but if you think about california and the representative ratio there it's awful but it's a huge place so people in california that feel lost well, but you have your local. You could you could change things in your local community and just say, you know what, we're just going to kind of not really, not actually, not literally wall ourselves off, but we're going to wall ourselves off from some of these terrible things that are happening in our state, and we're going to try to create a real environment here that's just normal. Yeah, and some
0: places are doing that. You can open your business here. You don't have to wear a mask. You on your private property. Um, you know, they're they're trying to change their local community, and it's yes. out of step with the rest of the state. Yes uh which is it's an interesting phenomenon. I don't know where this is all going to go, but it's um it's certainly interesting. I didn't know where this discussion was going to go, but to have this discussion kind of in the context of the Civil War looking kind of where we're sitting to where we're sitting here now in 2021, uh some things have changed, some things haven't.
1: Yeah, they really <laughs> haven't. I mean, it, where? this is, history is hey, look, history is timeless in so many ways. We talk about the same things over and over again. I think that's because of the structure of America. First of all, one of the great things about America, and I know the left is trying to shut this down more than anything else, is free speech. It's for you and I to have this conversation right. about things that are important to people and uh to have the ability to go on and have open discussion. I don't want the left to be silenced. Uh they should be able to speak freely what they want to say and we should be able to combat that with our own voice. And the structure of America lets that happen. And if you think about the beauty of federalism, it would allow for all these different things. And you think about the war itself, we go back to that. It would allow for different communities to have different things, and of course, well, what about slavery? I understand that was you know we don't want that, right? That's that's a bad thing. It's good that it's over. Nobody wants slavery. Uh, But it would allow the North to be the North, the South to be the South, the the Pennsylvania to be Pennsylvania, New York to be New York. This is what the beauty of it was. Well, I think about the abortion issue. You brought that up earlier. I mean,
0: a lot of uh, money is poured into pro-life national organizations, and they have little to show for what they've done but if you went to your even your town you know local town your county your state you can probably get a whole lot more done and and some states have tried to do
1: that sure absolutely and of course then you get in the issue of the supreme court again we brought that up and then what do you do so we have all these different you know hypocritical things for one side or the other i mean it's history is a mess and (laughs) uh... i think that that's the complexity going back to your original question why is everything so simple Well, it's not history is not black and white it's a lot of gray and I think that's the important thing about it. it. and the war is that way too. This why slavery issue is not about um, you know a moral crusade on one side and an immoral crusade on the other. Certainly, there was part of that. There were abolitionists fighting to free slaves. There were southern slave owners fighting to keep slaves. We know that happened. But for most people, it was something even bigger than that. For some, it just came down to these people invaded my town and I'm going to want to them out or others it's because well this is the founding fathers and you know there's been a lot of work done on this I'm going to go fight to save the Union I mean so for everybody had different motivating factors some it was just because they needed a job and in New England in particular there were a lot of Union soldiers who were fighting for a paycheck and this is well known so that's the time anytime you get an army you have that situation right right I know
0: I have uh, four I trace trace back four um, soldiers that fought in the Confederacy poor as dirt never would even have dream of owning a slave or anything like that uh but again invaded and that's and that was the reaction and i, I think that um first for most people who live in the south or who have that um heritage that that's what they're thinking about when they see these monuments that are being torn down and everything else and the same for the north i have you know family that's fought for the north and i wouldn't want to see their monuments taken down either because I, I do know that both sides there are good men in in both armies and, and um, they
1: recognize that themselves And this did. is why after the war is over you have Union and Confederate veterans getting together and shaking hands and saying, look, let's just bury the hatchet. Yeah. I mean, we were both doing what we thought was right. We were both fighting for our own cause, whatever that cause may be. You fought well. We, you fought, we fought well. Let's just say it's over. And uh, that reconciliation was important for America for a long period of time. And that, that reconciliation is what, really what's over. I mean, that's, that's the sad part of it well, all. Well, it allows someone, and let's go back to the think, local, lack, local.
0: It, it, it just allows someone to appreciate um, the differences that exist somewhere else, and that you don't have to be like me in every way, or my the region that I live in. You can be yourself over there. You can, you know. I think you've said before, "Sweep your own porch," kind of yeah. thing. And um, and that and that's what I I want to encourage people to do. And if, if anyone listening wants to, uh, I mean, this has been a um, kind of an, I think a helpful conversation, and probably raised a lot more question than uh, questions than even this answered. But if you want to know more. Uh, You can go to, is it brianmclanahan.com? Yes, with an O, Brian with an O. Brian with an O, brianmclanahan.com, and you can check out his books and resources, and you have these uh, discussions on your show all the time about thinking local, acting local, history. Uh, I find it fascinating, and I just appreciate you giving me some of your time. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, God bless.